to Downcity Cash Chicago. In the 60s, it wasn't New York or Las Vegas where jazz musicians and comics went to make it. No, it was here in Chicago, specifically at Mr. Kelly's, a hot spot in the Gold Coast. It was where Gibson Steakhouse is now. And trust me, more legends came through here than we can name drop in 15 minutes. It's Tuesday, October 12th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is City Cash Chicago. But if you were on the Ed Sullivan show and did well, then you played Mr. Kelly's. That was the next big, it was the next, it was like going from a double A team to the major leagues. I mean, just about everybody had work at Kelly's made it, you know. Where can you go to hear Barbara Streisand, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, Bette Midler, Barry Manilow, and, and on and on and on. You know, when I think about who came out of that, whose career just flew, it's incredible. David Marienthal is the executive producer of Live and Mr. Kelly's, a documentary streaming today about one of Chicago's most iconic jazz and comedy clubs. And it wasn't just the music and the jokes. The place broke racial barriers both on and off stage. And by the way, David's dad and uncle owned and operated the joint during its heyday. Welcome to City Cash Chicago. Oh, thank you so much, Jacoby. I, uh, yeah, it's a joy for me. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. David, I wanted to start off with a, a kind of a, a really obvious question. Who is Mr. Kelly? So Mr. Kelly was a, uh, a manager that they hired at, and they actually ended up firing him before he, he, before it opened. But they took his name, and uh, I guess you could figure out with two, two Jewish brothers opening a, a nightclub uh, called Mr. Kelly's in, in the 60s in Chicago with Mayor Daley and the Irishman running the, the city. Uh, I think there was some logic behind that. Mr. Kelly's was, was located at where Gibson's Steakhouse is now. And it opened back in the early 50s. Can you tell me what did it look like on the inside? What was the vibe when you walked inside the joint? Well, I uh, I went there sometimes as a kid. I mean, it was kind of an adult place. So my father would take me out for only special acts like uh, like Barbara Streisand and the, the Smothers Brothers. And uh, it was very intimate. I don't, you know, there's it was only 200 seats. And you'd walk in and there was the maitre d' in a tuck. So it was... It was upscale, yet it also had, you know, very hip people that were there as well. You know, the bar was on the left, so you could go in and have a drink at the bar and see all this great talent for the price of a drink. And then down uh, by the stage was the uh, candles and leopard skin tablecloths. Okay. And the stage was just, you know, just right above you and is... And you know, intimate feel is the is the word that comes from all the entertainers. Mm -hmm. The opening act was either a comic or a jazz singer, so you might see Steve Martin opening up for Ella Fitzgerald. You might see uh, Richard Pryor opening for for Barbara Streisand in in one night. As a kid, did you did you have a sense of like this magic you were experiencing, or was it just like this is where Dad and Uncle O work and some cool people come through? Local celebrity was really really big. So my father was a you know a celebrity. My uncle was a celebrity. I had my friends you know ask go, you know, can we get into Mr. Kelly's? And so I knew they were they were the real deal. But then as they say, special occasions we'd we'd get to go to Kelly's and. Uh, 
you definitely uh-huh. felt like you know this was this was this was Hollywood in Chicago. I don't know how to say it. You were you were there. You know, one of the things the documentary talks about very clearly is some of the barriers the club broke with with performers. Ramsey Lewis, a well-known Chicago jazz musician, is featured prominently. Were your father and your uncle colorblind and good music is good music, or were they making a clear political statement by booking black artists? They were adamant about, you know, about being fair to all people. And uh, I guess I've, you know, over the course of the film, which is interesting, up until when we had it at the Siskel Film Center uh, last weekend. I knew, you know, I knew they were one of the very few uh, places on the North Side that welcomed African American talent and patrons. But you know, it was really up to last weekend when I had older people get up and say that this was so important for them coming off the South and West Side as African Americans to have this club, which was internationally known be welcoming to to them and they were they got really emotional there was one woman who i guess went to uh kenwood high park high school and they did proms and ramsey talks a lot about this he loved to see the proms kids come in so uh, every spring they'd all come up dressed all in their tuxes and uh this one elderly woman just you know she just said you know she came with her with her whole class and they were sat right up front, right below Ramsey, and uh, she just said she would would never forget it. And uh, then we have, you know, we have stories of uh, Herbie Hancock coming for his prom. That's pretty cool. He came with his his girlfriend, and uh, he he loved it. We have a story about Ernie Banks coming in uh, to the London House, and uh, he sat down. A white conventioneer next to him asked to be moved. Actually, my cousin was working there at the time. My older cousin came over. And said, "Well, you're, you know, you're welcome to leave, sir." And then, and then, but, but he sat down and had dinner with, uh, with Ernie Banks. One of the people who speak in the documentary is the late Dick Gregory, and he was known as a civil rights activist, somebody who spoke truth to power, was very critical. And when he called Mr. Kelly's a safe space, I really took that to heart because I, I read the biography of of Dick Gregory. I read a lot of his read uh, of his work and. You know, he wasn't just throwing out compliments, uh, especially to white establishments. And so the fact that he felt protected, the fact that he felt supported at Mr. Kelly's um, is something that I, I that really stuck with me throughout the documentary. Were there African-Americans in the audience as well? Where? At Kelly's. Oh, yeah, Kelly's. No place else. No place else. That was one of the safe places we knew we could go. Was there always a plan to bring in comedians? They adopted that format in the in the mid fifties after after fire when they redid the whole thing. Comedy was was different before that. It was more you know more of a vaudeville type thing, where you know people joke about their wives and you know mother in laws and all this stuff. And it wasn't until uh, Mort Saul uh, and Shelley Berman and uh, Dick Gregory that they invented this. They really invented this type of political comedy, which we take as, I mean, that right now, that's what you think of as comedy. Uh, but this, this wasn't happening before that. And Kelly's was really the, you know, the first place where you had this, these people you know, talking about the current events and trying to, to make it funny, but trying to make a point as well. And we have a lot of racial prejudice up north, but we're so clever with it. Take my hometown, Chicago. I mean, you can't see it just, just going in there. 
When the Negroes in Chicago move into one large area and it looked like we might control the votes, they don't say anything to us. They have a slum clearance. <laughs> You do the same thing on the West Coast, but you call it freeways. It's very interesting in that in that joke that you know that uh, that Dick Gregory tells in the joke. You see how he could tell these jokes about race, about segregation, to white audiences, and somehow you know they were laughing, but they were you know understanding the the depth of these problems at the same time. Economics of the business changed in the seventies. The club was around for a couple of more years. Um, after your father's uh, early passing, what ultimately led to the closure of Mr. Kelly's? You know, the new management was having a lot of, you know, was having a difficult time running it as uh, the same quality that my father and uncle were. Again, people in the business, I think, understand how, you know, having an owner on premise, uh, yet the, these chains are great and the people that run multiple restaurants are great, but, you know, there's a lot of people where it's more effective to, you know, have that owner there, have that, you know, owner greeting the customers, having that owner, you know, dealing with the staff. Uh, so not, you know, not having my father and uncle there was definitely a challenge. And uh, then actually Steve Lombardo, who owns Gibson's, bought, bought the club in 1975. And uh, he closed it and turned it into kind of a, a, a fern bar, or a, a sports bar type motif. And, you know, has had success in that location up to the state with, with Gibson's. David, ultimately, what do you hope is the legacy of Mr. Kelly's and what do you want people to take from this documentary? Remembering the time and, as you say, continuing the time when Chicago is a great, you know, entertainment and cultural center of the nation and uh, giving our, our city some, some credit for that. And uh, some national and some national credit, you know. Certainly, I guess seeing how you know how we all can take steps to uh, further social justice, uh, you know, doing what we we all can do, and you know, remembering my father and uncle uh, playing their role in it uh, is certainly part of part of the legacy. And you know, and bringing this to the new generation, as I say, it's so great to you know hear you, you know, really you know, appreciate this generation, it's, you know, and, and have a lot of fun with it. I mean, this was, you know, cool, vintage, however you do it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to see. And we did want to make uh, the, the documentary as fun as we could. Uh, no, I definitely need a, a television show based off the heyday. I need to see it. I need to see the different characters brought in. I think your, your father and uncle could be played by like top-notch celebrities, What's an easy story for people to engage with from from the names, how cool it is, uh, how well you all tell the history. So David Marienthal, the executive producer of Live and Mr. Kelly's, thank you for joining us on CityCast Chicago. Well, thank you, Jacoby. And also, I do want to put a shout out to our director, Teddy Bogosian, and our editor here in Chicago, Scott, Scott Dummler, and our archival researcher and producer, Adam Karsten, who did, as you say, put together an incredible an incredible show, and uh, love to talk to you about that TV show. We're gonna get come it going. on, man. The name live at Mr. Kelly's, like it, you got a hit here. My, <laughs> you got a hit here, my guy. Like a whole hit. If Mrs. Mazel could do it, live at Mr. Kelly's could pull it off. Oh yeah, this is Mrs. Mazel on with a lot more complexity and a lot more great characters. The documentary Live at Mr. Kelly's is streaming on Apple TV, Amazon, and other streaming services beginning today. 
Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Chicago Park CEO Mike Kelly resigned over the weekend amid ongoing investigations into widespread sexual abuse and harassment allegations among the city's lifeguards. Kelly announced his departure just hours after the mayor called for him to be fired. The former parks leader didn't address the investigations in his resignation letter. This summer, we talked to WBEZ's Dan Mihalopoulos, who broke this scandal wide open. Go back to that episode to learn more about exactly what's happening in the city's pools and beaches. Game four between the Sox and Houston Astros is today at 1 o'clock in Chicago. The series has been high-scoring and extremely stressful for your boy. The Sox fought off elimination Sunday in a classic 12-6 victory, so they're going to need to win today to tie up the series and force things back to Houston. And some good news to get you through. To continue the Indigenous People's Day celebrations, head to Lincoln Square tomorrow night where the Old Town School of Folk Music is hosting its third annual Indigenous People's Day concert with music, history, and Native art. For more Chicago stories and events, check out our daily newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm. If you subscribe and share with your peoples, you could win some CityCast merch. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. My camera's off because my light, my, my light, I pulled the light switch too hard and my bulb blew. So I'm just in the dark.